This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Due to the graphic nature of this unexplained mystery, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of animal deaths some people may find upsetting. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. At 3 a.m. on August 7, 1994, Officer David Lacey took a civilian friend for a ride-along through Oakville, Washington. He'd only been driving for a short time when he noticed something off about the rain. At first, he thought his old wiper blades couldn't keep up with the barrage. They skated across the droplets rather than swiping them away. The wipers left long streaks, making it impossible to see. But then he realized it was the raindrops, not the wipers, that were the problem. Instead of running down his windshield, they stuck to it. Unable to see the road in front of him, Officer Lacey pulled over to clear off his windshield. Once he and his friend climbed out of the car, both were surprised to find it covered in small, sticky, clear balls. The goo had fallen from the sky, mingling with the rain. The balls continued to rain down as the two men examined the car, landing on their hats and shoulders with soft plops. Officer Lacey donned a pair of latex gloves and scooped up some of the balls. They clumped together easily, congealing into a transparent mush. Shrugging, he cleared off his windshield, climbed back into the car, and headed back towards the police station. Lacey's encounter was brief, but it set off a chain reaction that changed Oakville forever. Just hours after touching the jelly, Lacey was stricken with severe vertigo. He couldn't keep his balance, and soon he developed a fever and horrible nausea. Lacey was the first of dozens to be affected by the fallout. He didn't know it yet, but the blobs that had rained down over 20 square miles of Oakville weren't just unusual, they were dangerous. 
Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. This is our first episode on the Oakville Blobs. In the summer of 1994, tiny gelatinous balls the size of pinheads carpeted the small town of Oakville, Washington. They rained down six times over three weeks, dissolving into the ground in the days after they fell. People who encountered the goo complained of nausea, fever, vertigo, and stomach issues that lasted for weeks. Over 25 years later, we still don't know what the blobs were or why they made people sick. This week, we'll cover the blob fallouts in Oakville and the residents' search for answers. Next week, we'll explore possible explanations for the Oakville blobs. Theories abound blaming everything from flying jellyfish to airlines dumping human waste to secret bio-warfare experiments. Whatever they were, the blobs made their mark on Oakville and left a trail of destruction in their wake. Oakville, Washington. Founded in 1905, This tiny village nestled in the forests of the Pacific Northwest is lovingly nicknamed Timbertown, USA, by its residents. It's a vibrant old logging town with a small historic district populated by antique dealers and restaurants. Many of its residents live on farms at the edge of town. Oakville was, above all, a quiet place to live. But that silence was shattered forever on August 7th, 1994. That morning started strangely for Oakville resident Beverly Roberts. She left her house to find a large pile of clear jelly by the side of the road. A frog and a raven lay next to it, both dead. Worried that the jelly might have poisoned the animals, Beverly donned latex gloves to collect a sample. But even that precaution wasn't enough. By the end of the day, Beverly felt nauseous. She had chills one moment, but sweated feverishly the next. And by the time she woke up the following morning, her vertigo was so severe she could hardly walk. Beverly dressed on the floor and crawled to her car before driving incredibly slowly and carefully to her doctor's office. When she arrived, it was apparent she wasn't the only one who was sick. The waiting room was full of people suffering from flu-like symptoms and extreme vertigo. The one constant among all the patients, they'd all come into contact with the mysterious blobs. The people Beverly saw at the doctor's office weren't even the half of it. Some Oakville residents had gotten even sicker than her. Dottie Hearn, a farmer from the other side of town, became sick enough to require emergency hospitalization. 
On August 7, 1994, Dottie rose early. The mid-August sun was already rising, and she was eager to make the morning rounds of her property before it grew unbearably hot. She lived on a small farm on the outskirts of town, right where the city limits ended and the dense forest began. When Dottie stepped onto her back porch, she was surprised to see it was littered with small hailstones. Hail wasn't unusual for that time of year, especially during an overnight storm. Oakville lay at the western edge of Washington State and normally received precipitation 275 days a year. But with the rising temperature, the hail covering Dottie's property should have melted as soon as it hit the ground. Instead, it lay in small mounds all over her property. Dottie knelt to examine a clump on the sealed wooden firewood box that sat at the corner of her porch. She realized that the hail, half the size of a grain of rice, looked softer than normal. She touched it and was surprised to find it was squishy. It sprang back when she withdrew her finger, jiggling like jello. Whatever this was, it wasn't hail. Later that morning, Dottie's daughter, Sunny Barcliff, turned into her mother's driveway. The blobs still hadn't melted away. They were everywhere, covering the lawn, the front steps, even her mother's car. When Sunny went inside, she found the normally spry Dottie lying on the couch. Sunny was concerned, but Dottie insisted she was fine. She only had a headache and was just taking a rest until the aspirin kicked in. Wanting to take Sunny's mind off of her symptoms, Dottie changed the subject. She asked Sunny if she knew anything about the tiny bits of goo that were scattered over the property. They looked like hail, but they'd smeared all over the place when Dottie had tried to clear them off the wood box. Dottie tried to stand to show Sunny, but couldn't keep her balance. She was ghostly pale, and beads of sweat stood out on her forehead. She said her stomach felt upset, like something she'd eaten hadn't agreed with her. She laid back down, but even that didn't work. No matter what she did, the room wouldn't stop spinning. Sunny went to the kitchen, thinking a glass of water would help settle her mother's stomach. But seconds after she left, she heard a terrible crash from the next room. Dottie had collapsed. Terrified, Sunny hoisted her mother from the floor and propped her upright. But Dottie didn't feel any better once she was sitting up. She needed a doctor. Sunny half-dragged Dottie outside to her car. Before she left, she remembered what her mother had said about trying to clear off the wood box. She scooped up a sample of the goo to bring to the doctor. At McCleary Hospital, Dr. David Little examined Dottie. He was immediately skeptical of Sonny's story. In his opinion, Dottie's symptoms were consistent with an ear infection. A severe case could cause vertigo and nausea, and Sonny's claim sounded too outlandish. He didn't think the infection could be caused by strange blobs from the sky. He told Sonny not to worry. Dottie would need to stay at the hospital for a few days, but she'd be back to normal in no time. 
But while Dadi recovered, an influx of patients complained of similar symptoms, including Officer David Lacey and Oakville resident Beverly Roberts. Dr. Little's final diagnosis for all of these patients was Meniere's disease, a condition characterized by episodes of inner ear issues. According to the Mayo Clinic, sufferers experience bouts of vertigo, nausea, ear pressure, and tinnitus, or ringing in the ears. But Sunny wasn't so sure that Meniere's disease was to blame for her mother's illness. For one thing, it wasn't contagious. Sunny found it highly suspicious that multiple people in town would spontaneously develop the same inner ear issue all at the same time. For another, Meniere's disease is a chronic condition, but none of the patients had ever experienced ear problems before. And there were other symptoms to consider. Along with her balance problems, Dottie also had a fever and felt fatigued. When Sonny asked Dr. Little about these ailments, he shrugged. He told her he didn't know and that it must be some type of virus on top of her Meniere's disease. But Sonny was certain that there was a connection between the rash of ear infections and the blob fallout. And as she soon found out, nausea and dizziness were only the beginning. The Oakville blobs were deadly. Coming up, Sonny's investigation continues until she hits a potential government cover-up. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, back to the story. After the inexplicable blob fallout on August 7, 1994, many Oakville, Washington residents were diagnosed with inner ear infections and unknown respiratory illnesses. Doctors dismissed it as a coincidence. But Sonny Barcliffe felt the mysterious goo had something to do with the sickness spreading through the town. While her mother, Dottie, recovered in the hospital, Sunny stayed at the farm to keep an eye on her animals. The first day, she found a kitten curled up outside right next to a pile of the goo. When Sunny approached it, it lifted its head and let out a plaintive, barely audible mew. It was so weak, it could barely cry. Sunny scooped up the kitten and brought it inside. It was sick and she had a sinking feeling that the blobs had something to do with it. When she looked closely at the kitten's mouth, her worst suspicions were confirmed. The kitten had goo caught in its whiskers. The poor thing had eaten a blob. 
Sunny tried to nurse the kitten back to health. She fed it with a bottle, but minutes later it threw up. She watched the rise and fall of its tiny chest as it laid on the floor, afraid that at any moment it would die. But the kitten clung to life. It didn't get any better, but it didn't pass away either. As the hours passed, the blobs outside slowly melted away. Afraid she would lose evidence, Sunny collected more samples and froze them for safekeeping. Days passed, and each morning the kitten seemed frailer. Sunny watched as another storm hit Dottie's property, and the blobs fell with the rain once more. She did her best to keep her mother's other barn cats and dogs from eating the goop. She managed to protect the other animals, but Sunny's efforts were too late for the kitten. On August 10th, it died of its mysterious illness. Sunny feared what this could mean for her mother. Dottie's brief brush with the goo already landed her in the hospital with vertigo and nausea. Granted, Dottie hadn't eaten the blobs, but as sickness spread across the farm, Sunny worried that contact was enough for the blobs to kill their victims. Over the coming days, many of Dottie's outdoor cats reportedly died. Sunny heard stories of friends' pets and livestock dying as well. Dottie's dogs became sick too, but thankfully, they eventually recovered. Dottie started doing better as well. A week after her collapse, Dr. Little released her from McCleary Hospital. Though he was still certain Dolly's problems were related to her inner ear, Sonny insisted that the goo had made her mother sick. She told the doctor how quickly the animals at Dottie's property had died after ingesting the blobs. Seeing Sonny's distress, Dr. Little finally agreed to have her sample tested. At first, the lab staff was reluctant to examine the specimen. Like Dr. Little, they were sure that the outbreak in Oakville was little more than a few inner ear infections. But they agreed to look at it under a microscope. Through the lens, the lab tech quickly spotted an unusual amorphous shape on the slide. She pulled in tighter until it filled the screen. She focused, sharpening the edges until she could see the microscopic structure clearly. And finally, she confirmed her impossible suspicion. It was unmistakable. Floating right in the center of the goop was a white blood cell, a human white blood cell. White blood cells, or leukocytes, fight infection and boost the immune system. Normally, they're produced by stem cells in the bone marrow and are stored there until needed. If the Oakville blobs were living animal organisms, they'd have their own unique white blood cells. But instead, they purportedly contained human leukocytes, which would mean someone had added human cells or the blobs had come from a human. Normally, white blood cells can only survive for a limited time outside of the bloodstream. If someone had, say, cut a finger and bled on the blob, their cells wouldn't have lasted for long. But the leukocyte had survived for days inside the goo before the lab tech finally spotted the living cells. Nobody could explain how the cells had ended up in the blob. 
The goo that rained down in Oakville wasn't blood, and it certainly wasn't part of a human body. Rather than providing clarity, the discovery of the leukocytes only deepened the mystery. Nevertheless, the hospital staff still insisted that the townspeople simply had inner ear infections. The white blood cell was mysterious, but it hardly proved the blobs had made anyone sick. They refused to do any further testing, reasoning that there was no need. Besides, the hospital's equipment wasn't advanced enough to run many more tests, and they didn't want to waste resources sending it to another lab. Sonny Barcliffe found it strange that McCleary Hospital's researchers wanted nothing more to do with the blobs. She was confused as to why they couldn't call in an expert or send the sample elsewhere, especially given how high the stakes were. The blobs kept raining down six times throughout August. Each time they fell, more people and animals got sick. Just as her mother left the hospital on August 14th, Sunny came down with vertigo and nausea too. Though her symptoms were milder, she was afraid that the continuing blob falls could and would make more people severely ill. Maybe they'd even kill someone. Scrambling for answers, Sunny called the Washington State Health Department and spoke to Dr. John Kobayashi. Dr. Kobayashi, an epidemiologist with a specialty in infectious diseases, was intrigued by the illness plaguing Oakville. He urged Sunny to immediately send one of her frozen samples to the state health lab in Shoreline, just north of Seattle. When fellow epidemiologist Mike McDowell received the envelope containing the clear, gelatinous specimen, he didn't know what to expect. He decided to begin his analysis, as he normally would, by looking for bacteria. In a lab setting, researchers like Dr. McDowell often test a sample by trying to make a culture of bacteria, meaning they try to get the bacteria to reproduce and live in a controlled setting. To do this, they prepare a special type of liquid or gel called a medium. The medium is chock full of nutrients and other things that bacterial cells need to flourish outside the body. Without a medium, most bacteria will die before scientists can fully study them. Once his medium was prepared, Dr. McDowell placed a sample of the goo on it and sealed it. He hoped that if any bacteria was present in the blob specimen, it would thrive within the medium. After a few days, Dr. McDowell successfully cultivated two types of organisms from the sample. The first was Pseudomonas fluorescens, a bacteria that lives in soil, water, and on the skin of plants and animals. Some strains cause disease in humans, but McDowell wasn't able to prove that this one caused the Oakville illnesses, or that they were even related. The second bacteria was Enterobacter cloacae, which is commonly found in the human digestive tract. Enterobacter cloacae and human white blood cells are almost never found outside the human body. They wouldn't be able to survive long outside of laboratory conditions, so their presence in the blobs was puzzling. The blobs contained bacterial cells and leukocytes, but they weren't made of cells themselves. In other words, the blobs weren't alive, 
but they contain cells that should only survive in a living creature or in a lab-created medium. McDowell concluded the strange gelatinous substance was a matrix. In biology, matrix is another term for a medium, and matrixes don't occur in nature, only in labs. The evidence was undeniable. In his opinion, the blobs were man-made. As he continued to research, Dr. McDowell theorized that somebody had purposefully created the Oakville blobs as a vehicle to carry bacteria. Towards what end, he didn't know. Later, in an interview, McDowell suggested something sinister had happened at Oakville. He said, This material, and I have no proof one way or the other, was manufactured by someone for some purpose, and for some reason, Oakville was chosen as the test site. But McDowell only had one piece of the puzzle. He didn't know who could have made the blobs or how exactly they made people sick. He wasn't even sure the infections had been intentional. More study was necessary. The day after he found the bacteria, McDowell arrived at his lab early in the morning. He hoped to examine the sample to see if any other organisms were growing in the culture. But when McDowell went to retrieve the specimen, it was nowhere to be found. He turned the lab upside down, but still no goo. Somehow, for the first time in 30 years, Dr. McDowell had lost a research sample. He alerted his supervisor. When he questioned how his sample had gone missing, his supervisor responded with three words, do not ask. McDowell was stricken by his supervisor's warning and it left him reeling with suspicion. He concluded that the mishap at his lab indicated that the government was in on it. Who else could have executed such a perfect cover-up? But with the sample missing, he couldn't do anything more for Sonny. So she chased other leads. She sent more samples to Mike Osweiler at the Washington State Department of Ecology. Osweiler was the head of the Hazardous Materials Spills Response Team. He oversaw cleanups of dangerous materials and biohazards throughout Washington. If the blobs were some kind of biological weapon, Sonny thought he could help. At his hazmat lab, Osweiler found a number of cells within the goo. While he couldn't identify their exact sources, he did discover a surprising new detail. All the cells were from different living organisms. They came from multiple types of animals, not just humans. Unfortunately, his equipment wasn't precise enough for him to identify exactly what species had produced the cells. Osweiler only positively identified one, another white blood cell. It seemed like a typical human leukocyte, except for one thing. This cell had no nucleus. Nuclei contain DNA, or chemicals that tell the cell what to do. Normally, every plant and animal cell has a nucleus. Otherwise, it wouldn't be able to function properly. The only cells that don't have nuclei come from simple organisms like bacteria. 
and they don't have blood or white blood cells. This was like nothing Osweiler had ever seen before. Sadly, he couldn't determine much more. Osweiler was a hazardous waste expert, not a biologist. He told Sonny about the lack of a nucleus, but admitted he wasn't able to shed much more light on the blobs. Sonny was beginning to think she'd never find out what was going on, so she changed tactics. If she couldn't find a researcher who could help her, maybe the experts would come to her. Sonny just needed to get the word out. She spoke to journalists and news networks, hoping to drum up public interest. After the specimen was stolen from Mike McDowell's lab, Sonny publicly questioned whether some sort of government cover-up was at play. In her opinion, there was no other reason why the blob should be so stubbornly enigmatic. Sonny's mother, Dottie, wanted answers, too. Almost a year after the summer of the blobs, she sent out samples of her own for testing. She'd collected it during one of the blob fallouts and had stored it in her freezer for months. This time, the sample went to microbiologist Tim Davis, a researcher at an independent lab. While Tim had more biological experience than Mike Osweiler, he still wasn't able to positively identify the material. He did find a eukaryotic cell, that is, an organic cell that did have a nucleus, but he wasn't able to determine any more information. At this point, two researchers had found cells with nuclei. One found a white blood cell with no nucleus. These conflicting results only led to more questions about the blobs, and they weren't giving up their secrets that easily. A year after the blobs came to Oakville, their origin was still a mystery. But researchers had uncovered a few key facts. The jelly either once was or had come from something that was alive. Or it had been created as a matrix to keep microorganisms alive. It contained bacteria that could cause illness, but it was unclear if this particular bacteria was making Oakvillians sick human gut bacteria was also present. And some samples had what appeared to be human white blood cells inside them. Then, there was the mystery around the blob's appearance and subsequent vanishing act. They'd rained down on Oakville six times in August 1994, but never again afterward. The goo that had coated roads and fields had dissolved into the ground, and once Sonny and Dottie sent out all their samples, there was no more left to test. Within a year, all the evidence had disappeared, leaving only mystery in its wake. Coming up, we'll compare the Oakville blobs to other mysterious jellies. Now back to the story. The Oakville blobs are an enigma. We know that they fell to the ground during a number of rainstorms in August 1994. They reportedly contained bacteria as well as human white blood cells, some with a nucleus, some without. A number of Oakville residents got sick after touching the stuff, and pets and livestock died. But that's it. That's as far as the evidence takes us. 
In the nearly 26 years since that first rainfall, no one has conclusively proven what the gel was or why it fell from the sky. The blobs have long since dissolved into the ground, and no samples remain to test with modern lab equipment. The residents of Oakville recovered from their illnesses and tried to get back to normal. But a mystery remained. And as far as we can tell, the substance hasn't appeared anywhere since. But we could look at some similar phenomena to see if we can identify any trends. To be clear, there's never been another recorded event quite like the Oakville Blobs. But around the world, there have been reports of other bizarre objects. Plants, animals, even blood raining down from the sky. In the 14th century, scholars in what's now the United Kingdom reported strange, gelatinous stuff that appeared in mounds and piles. This substance, called star jelly, legendarily appeared on grass and trees in large, translucent clumps after meteor showers. This star jelly, or some other substance similar to it, was documented by various cultures all over the world. Some medieval medical guides suggested it as a remedy for abscesses and ulcers. Unlike the Oakville blobs, star jelly is a repeat phenomenon. Even today, it's still frequently found after meteor showers, fueling rumors that it falls from the stars. It's important to note that nobody has reported seeing star jelly fall from the sky and intermingle with rain like the Oakville blobs. And as near as we can tell, star jelly doesn't make people sick. Each time it appears, the jelly only exists for a few short hours before dissipating into the ground. Since the substance never lasts long, it's proven difficult to research. Some hypothesize the material is excreted from frogs, salamanders, or worms. In 2014, Scottish researchers Miles O'Reilly and Nicole Ross published a paper claiming that star jelly was glycoprotein, a substance female frogs have in their reproductive system. When a frog is killed by a predator, it secretes glycoprotein, which oozes to the ground. There, it reacts with dew or other moisture and swells into a large pile of gel. Another theory is that star jelly is a type of slime mold. These are colonies of single-celled organisms that grow together in soil, dead trees, and on forest floors. Though slime molds vary in size, shape, and behavior, they all share one thing in common, a state of their life cycle where they resemble jelly-like slime. While frogs and slime molds might produce star jelly, it's not certain that they're the only source of it. It's difficult to say if it all comes from the same place or if different organisms make different star jellies. Just like the Oakville blobs, researchers haven't been able to extract any DNA from star jelly. But while the Oakville blobs contained bacteria and leukocytes, Scientists studying star jelly could not find any cells at all, which means whatever star jelly is, it's not the same thing as the Oakville blobs. But there are other examples of strange, non-nucleic cells falling from the sky, and they point to a surprising possible explanation, that perhaps the blobs 
came from outer space. In July 2001, an intense storm battered Kerala, a state in southwestern India. But this rainstorm was different. The droplets landing on the ground were blood red. Researchers examining the Kerala blood rain found microscopic cells floating in their samples. The general consensus was that the red color was caused by scarlet fungal spores that had somehow gotten sucked into the rain clouds. But some dispute the official story. Instead, they believe the rain had a more extraterrestrial origin. In 2010, physicist Godfrey Lewis published a paper on the red rain Kerala had experienced nine years earlier. Lewis was surprised when he tried to extract DNA from the cells found in the red rain. They didn't have nuclei, and he was unable to find any identifiable DNA whatsoever. This proved that the cells weren't fungal spores, as all fungi have nuclei. Lewis performed a battery of tests on them, hoping to figure out where they'd come from. When he applied heat to the cells, he was astonished to find that not only did they survive, they grew at temperatures up to 250 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot enough to kill most living things on Earth. So maybe the so-called fungal spores weren't from Earth at all. Lewis proposed that the cells traveled to our planet on a meteor that exploded upon entry into the atmosphere. The clouds absorbed the alien microorganisms, then later rained them down on Kerala in July 2001. Like Lewis, scientists examining the Oakville blobs encountered cells missing nuclei with their gooey specimens. If Lewis is right about Kerala's red rain, perhaps that means the Oakville blobs came from the farthest reaches of the galaxy. Of course, this is all speculation. The Oakville blobs weren't blood red, and they were more gelatinous than liquid. Other than the presence of non-nucleic cells, there's no strong connection between the two phenomena. We can't rule out the possibility that the blobs came from space, but we don't have any strong evidence that they did either. Just a conjecture based on the blob's mild similarity to another substance, which we haven't proven is extraterrestrial in origin. In short, the things we don't know about this theory outweigh the things we do. The Oakville blobs have stumped professional researchers and amateur theorists alike for over 25 years. With each new revelation, the solution only grows more obscured. Today, we are no closer to discovering the truth than we were in August 1994. But the residents of Oakville still want answers. And in the flurry of gathering samples, calling researchers, and tracking symptoms, a number of theories emerged about the origin of the enigmatic goop. First, the very gross possibility that the blob storms over Oakville were excrement. Commercial airliners illegally dumped human waste over Washington state, which caused the spate of mysterious illnesses. Or, blobs were actually the remains of dead jellyfish, 
These creatures were sucked out of the sea by a freak water spout and rained down on the hapless residents, inundating them with rotting jellies. And finally, the poisonous goo was the result of military experiments on the city of Oakville. Answers have remained so elusive because the government covered up the tests. The Oakville blobs could have come from the sea, the air, or even the stars. 25 years later, they still inspire fear, awe, and above all, a desperate need to know the truth. Because if the blobs rain down once, couldn't they come again? Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Thursday with part two of the Oakville Blobs. For more information on the blobs, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Daily Chronicle extremely helpful to our research, as well as Sonny Barcliffe's account of the incident on Medium. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Unexplained Mysteries, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Molly Quinlan, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. <laughs>